This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Every marketer is looking for that magic channel, the one space where it feels like everything resonates perfectly with your audience and your message cuts through the noise. More often than not, though, finding a hybrid, thought-out, multi-channel approach is the true secret formula for success. I won't say that there's an individual channel that works really well. What I will tell you is that we have found multi-channel communications is incredibly effective. If you're sequencing them in a thoughtful way, I think the answer is because we're not finding a single channel on its own is going to be make or break. That's Rahul Kak, Executive Director of Behavior Change Marketing at CVS Health. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Rahul discusses exactly why a cohesive multi-channel approach is better than being dependent on one avenue and gives marketers reasons to explore that option. Plus, he touches on how marketers can make the biggest impact when it comes to personalization. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we have a special guest. Rahul, how are you? Good, Ian. Good to see you. Here you. <laughs> yeah, right. We'll see you in here uh, uh, today on our, on our Zoom call. Excited to have you on the show. Uh, excited to be talking about CVS Health and, and the things that you're doing there and, and talk your background. So first, how did you get started in marketing? Uh, good question. I had a pretty circuitous path. I actually did not start there. I started in biomedical and electrical engineering and uh, was testing the waters and things like the medical device industry, NIH. I later transitioned into consulting and actually ended up at my current company now, the, the Caremark pharmacy benefits component, went, went back to like school and more consulting. And then I came back to a different business unit, Aetna, which got acquired by, uh, acquired by CVS. So my, first off, my career has been full circle by going back to the same company I worked at 10 years ago between other jobs and school. But how I got into marketing was actually just an internship during business school. And it was probably a bit cooler then than it is now is a space called social media listening. And I did it as like a lark. It was just a weird thing. I thought it was really neat was back in probably you know, 2011 or so. And that's how I started. And then when I went into consulting uh, after that, I got into our marketing and sales practice. Had a lot of fun with it. Yeah. So tell me more about your current role as executive director. So my department is called Behavior Change Marketing. And so think of it like an uh, it's more about population health management, even though it sits in a marketing department. And so what we're doing is we take uh, an agile, a team of agile cross-functional marketers who are matrixed in with an analytics and data and clinical team members. And what we're doing is we're developing communications to drive behavior change. And so what my, my role has evolved over time, when we started doing this a few years ago, it was you know, just like kind of an experimental test and learn operating model through like internal partnerships and technologies. We started to stand up Salesforce Marketing Cloud, for example, to enable rapid marketing deployment. And a lot of that is premised on the idea that if our goal is to change behaviors and recognizing that behaviors, people are stubborn, it's hard to change behaviors, particularly health actions, 
you know, we need to go in with a mentality where a lot of these things are going to fail and we're going to have to test and tweak and optimize a lot of different things. So my day-to-day now has evolved over the few years. So now, you know, we're at a point where we have a portfolio of scaled programs that, you know, we're budgeted against, we're delivering value. And then, you know, we're continuing to have a portfolio of things that we, we pilot. And to give you a sense of that, of what that is, it's uh, things such as educating our members on preventable complications, navigating site of care, things they can talk to their physician about, like diagnostic intensity or treatment selection. So for example, we're not doing anything about educating people about exercising or eating right. That would be kind of in a wellness space, which is separate, nor are we doing anything, my group doing anything on acquisition or retention work specifically. It's really around empowering people to make better decisions on their healthcare. I love it. This is super exciting because I think what you're talking about is something that we talk about a lot on this show, which is the helpful side of marketing, right? It's not about, you know, the acquisition or or the um pulling someone through the funnel or things like that. It's about making your customers' lives better. I know it's, you know, different in what you all are doing um than say a B2B company or something like that, but you know, it's about sharing things that are helpful and messaging. So, I, you know, how do you, how do you view this behavior change marketing kind of, uh, you know, ecosystem that you're working in? What does, how's your team structured so that, you know, you can do this stuff that might be different from a traditional marketing department? Yeah. I, so I would say a lot of traditional departments can be siloed in different channels and that's fine if you need expertise. I mean, to some extent, we still have that, but what we try to do is we try to enable each marketing pod of you know, cross-disciplinary marketers and data scientists, data engineers, and all of these folks, they're intended to be cross-channel from the outset. So we're trying to have a holistic set of tools in which we reach out to people. And they're structured such that we're not, we're not taking different verticals within you know, traditional uh, you know, company hierarchies where we can, we're connecting siloed departments by process. What we're doing is we're taking, you know, an individual from marketing strategy, marketing operations, marketing technology, creative development. And, you know, that includes people who are doing, you know, design and writing, you know, take data science, data engineering, clinical experts, and you put them all on one team or a pod, as we'll call it. And, uh, you know, we give them this portfolio of work and they kind of manage against that uh, portfolio and they will build a set of test and learn initiatives to you know, deliver against their metrics. You know, I, I hadn't thought of it before this interview, but, um, or maybe I haven't at some point, but not, not recently of like, you know, marketing is trying to get people to change behaviors in some, in some way or another. So it's interesting that you call it behavior change marketing. So what are the behaviors that you're trying to change first and foremost? Like, what are the things that people are doing that you don't want them to do? You know, I'll be cagey on like what are those specific behaviors because that some of that will be proprietary. But, you know, there's standard things that any, you know, payer and a lot of a lot of our value is coming from like the payer side of the business or healthcare benefits. So any of these payers, you know, we're all trying to focus on how do you reduce unnecessary ER visits? How do you get people to get their flu vaccine? How do you get people to be adherent to their drugs? So those are the fundamentals. And then, you know, it, it can extend beyond that to, to some of those other buckets I, I had mentioned about, like navigating certain site of care that can get very specific depending on whether you need a procedure or some sort of like preventable, um, some sort of like diagnostic screening, or you're just managing a chronic condition. 
like what are the best ways to stay healthy, but like what are the parts of the health system you have to plug into and like what's the next best action I take in order to do that as a, as a health consumer. And so what are the types of channels that you're using to do that? How do you reach people? Yeah, so the biggest channels I would say for us are things like direct mail, email, web, SMS, for these types of messages, and what I described also, you can imagine there's a lot of personal health information or PHI. So, you know, we have to be thoughtful about that, but, you know, we'll find scenarios where, you know, maybe it makes sense to use, you know, give generalized messages through paid digital channels. Well, you know, we'll of course use that. You know, we're using incentives. It's not a channel, but it's a, it's a really critical tactic in which we'll reward people with things like gift cards for completing certain health actions. We consider people's providers a channel in which we reach people to the extent we can convince a doctor to enforce or reinforce a behavior change. If we tell them, you know, you know, for your this one patient, you know, we're sending them these messages, you know, could you actually send them, you know, could you reinforce that when you meet with them, you know, if you agree with this. And we're actually also activating our CVS retail network as well. So, you know, we have 10,000 stores with pharmacists and we will we'll ping messages to our pharmacists to let them know, hey, if there's an Aetna member where we have this data where we can inform something about managing their health or their condition, we can give them some information to share there too. We can, you know, we can print messages on the back of their prescription bags. So of course, you know, we're all ba- balancing this with the right, the right level of appropriateness for the topic. And is, it, is this the right channel to deliver to? And that's where a lot of the test and learn comes in, right? Because you don't want to throw 10 channels all at once on this one topic, on this one member, unless you, know, you really have a good reason to. So what are some of the channels that are working um, that you've seen that, that, are, that are some of the ones that are, uh, and I know you have proprietary things too that, that you're working on, but that have worked really well? Yeah, I, I would say, what I won't say is that there's an individual channel that works really well. I think everyone, you know, every marketer wants to say their email or their SMS channel is great because that's incredibly cheap on a per unit basis. You know, everyone wants to find ways to help the environment and reduce vendor costs by taking down print costs and, you know, social and search can get, you know, pretty expensive. What I will tell you is that we have found multi-channel communications is incredibly effective. If you're sequencing them in a, in a thoughtful way, if you're also adding, you know, the, uh, the correct frequency or cadence of communications on those same channels. So it, it's, it's a bit of a non-answer for you, but I think the answer is because we're not finding a single channel on its own is going to be make or break. And let me give you a comparison. Like traditionally, the way a lot of these messages have been communicated, like help actions, is you have a care manager, you have someone on the phone who is, you know, going to call someone and guide them through a process. Ideally, you have a nurse or a clinician who can do this. That's expensive and you can't scale that beyond, you know, maybe your top one to 5% most sick or chronically ill members. So how do you scale beyond that? And that's where marketing channels come in. And and really we're finding it's going to be a mix. Part of it is also going to be reach. You're not going to be able to get permissions for all of these channels. So you have to find the right combination. So kind of my answer is it's not one, but it's, it's the sum of all the parts. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think that, you know, it speaks to the holistic nature of, of marketing. There's obviously, you know, a plethora of, you know, more channels now than there ever have been. You know, with educating people, with not selling stuff, do you find that the marketing is, is different? Like what types of engagements are you looking for? What types of actions are you trying to get people to, to take? How do you, how do you know and measure that stuff? So it, 
I think in terms of the actions we're trying to get people to take, I think a lot of it comes down to the data. So there are a few ways you can reach out to people and like decide what that is. And we have, we'll have to build business model, build business cases against each one. You know, we can reach out through people. Traditionally, it's very deterministic. You have a rules-based model that's identifying, does someone have this condition? Yes or no. Are they this demographic or geography? Yes or no. And we still do that, but a lot of our programs are built around predictive models. And you know, that's where the investment in data science comes in, where, we're, where we are building a machine learning model against dozens of data points around an individual. And we say, okay, this is an educational primer that's going to be highly relevant to this person at this point in time. Uh, you know, then it gets down to like for, you know, some of those topics I mentioned earlier, the specific types of behaviors. But the targeting is really critical. I think another key step is activating data around analytically derived archetypes, I'll, I'll, I'll call it. So kind of cohortizing people based on what we're seeing in those models and clustering them. And that can inform the actual messages we'll send to them, right? Because you, know, you can't be perfectly one-to-one -one, uh, on a lot of these things, but you can at least find sort of clusters within that. And then, you know, when all is said and done, uh, you look at the end of this and you're going to say some combinations of folks who are reaching out to against these different tactics we're testing against are going to be really effective. And you, you continue to double down on those and then you kill the things that aren't working. Yeah. You, you know, you started talking about kind of the, the data science piece of this, like what, what types of investments are you all making in, in data science? How are you, how are you leveraging data uh, to increase these, this messaging? Yeah. I think the short answer is people like you, you need to have a very intelligent people doing this or you, you make a choice to either build by borrow. A lot of people will work with um, third party vendors that exclusively focus on uh, data science for healthcare payers, providers, plans, et cetera, on this topic, you know, processing, you know, health data and then saying, OK, here is something that you, you know, you want to do with this with this health consumer. Uh, we've chose a build model. We've built it in-house and we've, you know, built our own production platforms to, you know, create these models and, and run them into our, our member base. And, you know, we have a lot of smart people that, that, that are doing these things. You know, it's really interesting that the reason a lot of health plans traditionally don't touch on this topic of reaching out to members, because if you do this indiscriminately, you're going to inadvertently going to drive up unnecessary utilization. You're going to tell people, hey, you should do this health action, and they're just going to go to the doctor more than they need to. And, and that's a big problem in our country, right? People being over, I'm not going to say over-medicated, but like over, uh, over-utilizers of healthcare services when they don't need it, or there's certain populations that just need to use it more. But if we're using data to be really targeted about those messages, you know, where there's a real need for it, then we can uh, then we can feel good about doing that, you know, investing in, you know, you know, communications that go out and, you know, even just thinking about is this worth someone's time to send them a message. And like, has there been anything that has kind of surprised you about the data or, or about some of the things that you've seen? I don't, I don't think so. I think you're going to have to be comfortable with the fact that predictive models aren't perfect. You're going to have some false positives, false negatives. And you have to account for that in the messaging when you don't have 100% certainty that these communications are relevant for the member. And, and that's fine. You just have to optimize over time against that. Nothing has like, truly surprised me. 
Other than I think occasionally I'm surprised that certain programs work as well as they do, just because you think it's such a lark where it's like, you, like you know that people, particularly highly chronically ill members are getting a lot of communications reminders from, you know, not just their payer, their, their, you know, there's their provider, there's like other, they usually have like a care team of other clinicians that are supporting them, friends and family. And, and you just kind of wonder like, is this going to get through? And um, you know, I, I will say I've been pleasantly surprised that certain messages actually have been more accurate than I thought they've, they've been. But, you know, being ready for that, I think is important and having messages that are the appropriate level of, I think, not assuming that we're going to get it 100% right. One other area I was, I've been surprised about is like, what's the, what's the right level of incentive that you have to give someone? When I say incentive, I'm talking like gift cards and health. And I, I think we've found that certain amounts aren't necessary to drive this health behavior. And it may, depending on the behavior, you may not even need a, an incentive at all. And if you talk to a behavioral scientist, I'll even tell you that there, there's an adverse effect of incentivizing people with, with money because you may incentivize them to do that, take this action only one time, but it's not necessarily building the behavior or even just like this kind of intrinsic, um, building an intrinsic value system around this is the right thing to do to manage your condition, let's say. So I think I've been surprised by some of the results on, on the effectiveness of health incentives. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, so what's the, what is, I guess, normal for that? Is it normally something where you have um, those type of incentives to get behavior? Is that a pretty common practice? Yeah, actually, I don't know how common it is across payers or provider groups. Like, certainly, it can be common when there's quality measures associated with uh, patient care. Right, where there's kind of like reimbursements or federal reimbursements. You can think of things like the Medicare STARS program, where plans are incentivized to drive certain behaviors, such as flu vaccinations or preventative screenings. So there's, there's no good playbook on this. And I think results you know, can be inconsistent. But I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to find the right specific kind of individuals where this is working. And, you know, that's, you know, based on demographics and other things like, you know, past health action, you know, what creating using behaviors to inform, you know, your targeting models, and therefore, which mix of tactics and, you know, incentive levels you're deploying. Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm, interesting. So, you know, how has how has COVID kind of changed the way that you've had to do this stuff? I'd imagine that there were, you know, a ton of changes, obviously, to what people were you know, worried about and requesting and all that sort of stuff. So I'd imagine, you know, you'd have to evolve your messaging. Yeah. Uh, so when all this happened, we had to drop our pens and stop the presses and just look back at everything we were doing with a certain lens of sensitivity. Is this even appropriate in a world where there's a pandemic? And are we considering the consumer mindset during this period of time? So, you know, obviously a lot of people were choosing not to get elective procedures and, you know, we'll, we'll educate people on that topic, but like why educate about this, them about this thing if they're not doing it to begin with. Right. And there's, there's a big issue that happens when, and this is very much talked about, it's probably obvious to folks by now that a lot of people, especially with chronic conditions were simply not managing their condition or getting the right care because you know, they just didn't want to leave their home. So I think there was a big problem around that. So educating people about, you know, you know, this is the right time to get your care. And in these conditions where, you know, we were choosing to reach out to people, particularly with, um, you know, in highly sensitive geographies and people that, you know, where we had information about their occupation and certain occupations, we know that 
and there's more sensitivities here. We're building models around uh, more sensitive members, obviously mix of chronic conditions and such. So we could um, encourage them to get certain types of care. There's really long-term negative consequences of people not doing that and holding off on that. And you educating people about telemedicine and, you know, it, it was great to see a spike in that service. I think it's game changing and uh, hoping it's something that sticks over time. What about the technology side of things, right? Like I, I'd imagine that so many people were trying to, I mean, people learning how to use Zoom and all these tools and stuff like that. Like, was there kind of like technological barriers that you had to teach people about? And how did you do that? Yeah, I, I would say my team wasn't on point for educating people on how to use things like telemedicine. And you have uh, certain providers that have their own platforms for these sorts of things. We, you know, generally speaking, there is a big challenge with technology literacy and particularly older populations. It's, that's a challenge. So that's not to say that you can, they can't get care through telemedicine, because by the way, that's inclusive of voice only phone calls, like that counts in some, some cases. So I think we, we certainly have to think about that. We have, to, we have to plan for that. And we can be thoughtful about targeting the messages to people that, you know, where uh, you could predict if certain groups are going to be less technologically literate and you could invest more time and resources on educating that group. So what's next? What are some of the things that you're, you know, excited about for 2021 or things that you're going to be working on to kind of keep pushing this stuff forward? Yeah, I, I would say for my department, I think, you know, we're thinking a lot about things like the the Medicaid population you're seeing that's growing. And especially now, like during the pandemic, that's that's been a growing population. A lot of folks losing their jobs, and like shifting to Medicaid. And, you know, I think with increasing like wealth disparity, you're seeing like just like kind of a growing segment there. It's, it's the largest, it's, you know, larger than Medicare. So I think that's an area of big opportunity for all health plans, right? And finding ways to educate them about managing their health, but even just like accessing care. So I'm looking, I'm thinking of my company and we're expanding our pro portfolio of health hubs, which are a place where we can, uh, where people can access, they can access different health products and, uh, you know, see their pharmacists, mini clinics, uh, care concierges, which are going to be a way to help navigate care certain health hubs are going to have behavioral health or maternity products that are you know, very specific and we're piloting. So, you know, I'm excited to find ways to uh, guide certain members that you know, we have, we're able to communicate to that we know are near some of these new pilot markets and get them to try out these services. Because I, I think, you know, you look at one of the biggest problems in this country is just lack of, or I guess, underutilization of primary care services. And a lot of the problems are that we're finding and rise of chronic disease is preventable uh, just through a really good primary care service and finding ways to give people primary care services at a lower cost with a larger footprint is a big part of the mission. So, you know, we're, we're all going to be playing a part in that. Yeah. I've, I've been actually studying that a little bit recently and it's, it's pretty shocking just like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, just talking to some some folks in, in the medical community, specifically around like fetal monitoring stuff like that. Shout out to Odinata Health out there, our friends over there. But yeah, I mean, you just you look at you know kind of they talk about these maternity deserts, but you know it's much the same way in certain areas for primary care and people just like you know not going to the doctor ever. 
and it's it's a huge problem. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's even worse for you can imagine certain uh, certain racial groups, certain geographies. You you hear a lot about social determinants of health where people like it's not even their first priority. They're just trying to get food on the table. They're trying to you know pay their rent, and if health becomes you know goes to the even the middle, if not the bottom of their list, like that's going to exacerbate tons of problems, and it becomes this vicious cycle. So you know, one other thing here before we before we get out of here. Um... Your team is hiring. Is that right? Uh, we are hiring a bit. That is right. <laughs> so what do you look for uh, in, a, in a teammate? That's a good question. I, I think for, for me, that some of the things I'm really excited about, um, I think number one is just a really strong, intrinsic problem-solving capability, because I think uh, healthcare is a place that's famous for its problems. And then the day-to-day work of being a healthcare company, there are a lot of problems. And, and I think you know, just find, finding a way to tackle those. And I would say like a level of grit on that. I think that's just a a fundamental skill that, you know, you know, you know, I will test for. I think when you get down to specific skills are really critical and and certain roles. My my group is one that has, you know, I would say it has generalist roles and also specialist roles. And some of the specialist roles, you know, are things like, you know, designers and writers. And it's like a very specific type of skill. And you have a portfolio that you can demonstrate that. You know, and my group also invests in uh, Salesforce Marketing Cloud architects and finding specialists like that. I mean, you're talking about like a very like niche field, but, you know, people that have expertise in things like marketing automation and have familiarity with different technologies related to this and can deploy it in different circumstances, particularly in a highly regulated industry. I think that these are some of the things that that level of experience can go a long way. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you have these powerful tools that can do these, you know, complex personalization. And and, uh, and we didn't even really talk personalization much today, but uh, they can do these things. But, you know, you have to have the talent that, that can help you not only facilitate the technology, but that, that can write that stuff, that can create it, that can, you know, make those meaningful connections that can, you know, ultimately it... it if you're if you can get it in front of the people and it's not it's not worth reading or looking at, then it's not going to be very helpful. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. So, what are some of the greatest challenges in marketing healthcare? There are a few areas, and it depends what part of the health system you're in. But I'll speak as someone who's part of uh, within a broad integrated system, much more on the payer side. I think number one, brand perception is a big challenge, and people inherently don't trust payers. And, um, you know, they may not realize that some of the friction they're facing is just based on the certain type of uh, plan that their employer had chose or, or you know, even, even like the, the level of plan that they were able to choose. There's a very high level of trust for pharmacists, right? So they have like kind of an easier time there and providers, um, you know, doctors, and that's, that's where you have just, you have, you have the actual relationship. So I think if you are on certain parts of the, the healthcare system, you're going to face a headwind against that. So, so managing against that is, is a big piece of that and trying to think very thoughtfully about your brand strategy. Number two, health literacy is a massive challenge. So, so we actually target at a fifth grade reading level that's like, you know, in our brand guidelines. But for my group that is focusing on educating people about site of care navigation or things that are maybe very specific to their health condition, you know, we're, we're really stretching the rules that we can for that kind of uh, reading level. But I think, you know, finding creative people that can communicate in a, you know, at a very human centric way is, is a real challenge to try to meet. 
And I think the third thing I'd bring is coordination across the system. And, you know, we're, we're in a world where we're communicating things that have a risk of being out of sync across the multiple doctors or nurses that one of our members sees or their care manager, their pharmacist, their, their employer, their pharmacy benefit manager. So, you know, we just have to be aware of that in our communications and, uh, you know, try to find the right balance. And as much as possible, it goes back to kind of data connectivity and what can we connect to know that this is the most relevant message that is also consistent across every other touch point someone has. Okay, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. I mean, you know this, you're a customer, so I don't have to tell you. But for everyone else out there who's not a customer yet, go check out salesforce.com slash marketing. They're the best. We love them. Check them out. Lightning round questions. Rahul, are you ready? Okay. Number one, do you have a favorite book or podcast or TV show that you've been binging recently? Uh, yes. Katie Milkman is a behavioral scientist at uh, UPenn's, I think, Behavior Change for Good uh, group. She has a, uh, she has a podcast. I, I think it's called Choiceology. I should know that. But whatever it is, uh, it's, it's on my autoplay. How about a habit or hobby that you picked up during Shelter in Place? You know what's really great? Uh, Zoom dance classes, because you don't have to commute you don't have to do, I, I get very bored with the warmups. I just, you just jump right in and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. So you can make the space for it and you don't have anyone looking at you. You just, you know, dance like no one's watching because no one is watching. <laughs> because indeed no one is watching. Um, <laughs> is there one place that you're going to go or visit or something that you're going to do when, uh, when this is all lifted someday? You know, I, I really miss hosting events. I am one of those people I like getting friends together and celebrating. Even my team at work uh, would used to do things at my home. And uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to uh, go right back into hosting. Looking forward to that. What's your favorite? Uh, do you got a dish? Favorite dish? Uh, I said hosting. I didn't say cooking. But <laughs> if, if I had to. Well, you, can, you can order I'm, it. I'm, not, uh, <laughs> I'm a pretty, you can, you can order. That's actually true. I'm pretty good at salmon, which I know is really easy, but it's just so good. What would be your best advice for someone who is heading a marketing group like yourself? Uh, I think be as socialized a leader as you can. And if, if, you're, if you're kind of at that level, you probably are fairly socialized, but you know, just build a network. I, I think depending on the organization, marketers can be more of a shared service or they can be a leader in some companies like CPG there, you know, they can own the PNL. So I think be, be self-aware of kind of where you are there and like stay close to the centers of power and, and make sure you have a seat at the table, you know, whether, you know, it's a product led uh, organization or not. If you weren't in marketing at all, what do you think you'd be doing? Um, I really love animals. I have two cats. <laughs> And I would love, I, I would have loved to have been a veterinarian. I think that would have been a really fun way to just see, you know, okay, you're still, you're still doing healthcare, right? You're doing it for pets or other animals. I think that could be a really uh, fulfilling job. Well, that's it. That's all we got for today. Uh, any, uh, any final thoughts, anything to plug? No, I think, uh, I think that's good. Awesome. Well, it's been great having you on the show and uh, we'll talk again soon. All right. Thanks so much, Ian. Take care. 
Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, The messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.